Welcome to our weekly three-minute therapy podcast, <clears throat> excuse me, with me, Dr. Michael R. Edelstein, a REBT clinical psychologist, and Kevin Benbow, an REBT psychologist. Kevin has a practice in Yuma, Arizona, and if you uh, contact him and you're a resident, then insurance could very well cover part or all of the uh, payment. And I'm uh, international on Zoom, FaceTime, Skype, or phone. I'm author of Three Minute Therapy, Change Your Thinking, Change Your Life. And that is based on REBT. REBT is Rational Emotive Behavior Therapy. That's a powerful type of psychotherapy, brief therapy, active directive therapy that was devised by Albert Ellis in the 1950s. And he's since written over 80 books about the subject. I've written a few. The main one is three-minute therapy. And we do this podcast regularly about any subject related to REBT. Today, uh, we're going to be speaking about insomnia. Uh, Chris, uh, Kevin, rather, did you want to say any more in introduction? Uh, no, you basically got it. I live in Yuma, Arizona, and I practice exclusively by virtual telehealth. And I see people in both Arizona and New Mexico. That's an important distinction. So if you live in one of those states, right now, I'm not really taking any new people because I'm busy but that'll change probably in the next month or so. Very good. And then uh, it would be a mistake to leave out Chris Rossini, our tech engineer who operates from behind the scenes and makes everything uh, that's technical work. So without Chris, we'd be doing phone, I guess. Okay, so uh, today the topic is insomnia. And as I started to say, REBT, Rational Emotive Behavior Therapy, is based on the notion that our uh, thinking causes our emotions and our behaviors, not situations. So when you have an emotion, if you'd like to change it, ask yourself, what am I telling myself? What's my belief, view, opinion, attitude behind that emotion. And if you change that, then you can change your emotions. So today we're going to address insomnia and REBT. So uh, I'll start and um, we could look at insomnia or difficulty sleeping uh, and divide it into two areas. One is the physical or physical, physiological aspect, and the other is the emotional aspect. Now, the physiological involves just the way your brain is wired. Some people tend to be better sleepers than others, and uh, some people just happen to uh, get a good throw of the dice genetically, and they sleep well, and other people not so much. That's uh, the physiological part. 
And then uh, the emotional or psychological part can be broken down into two aspects. We call that the problem separation technique. You, if you're not sleeping as well as you'd like, you have a practical problem, but then the issue is, do you have an emotional problem about that? Are you making it worse by worrying about it, dwelling on it, obsessing about sleeping? I must sleep, I must sleep, I must sleep, or I must not be exhausted tomorrow. And the more you incorporate that must or demand thinking, which we call irrational thinking, the more you create the problem you're trying to avoid. So the solution to that involves questioning, challenging and contradicting your must, asking yourself, why must I do what I strongly prefer to do? Where is that written? And the answer of course is, there's no reason you have to do what you prefer to do. If you did do what you pr preferred to do uh, and you were in total control, you'd be a perfect human, probably more perfect than a computer. And uh, that would be very nice, but that's not in the cards for us humans. So that means giving up your must, <laughs> giving up your demands and <clears throat> convincing yourself that there's, <clears throat> excuse me, that there's no must, there's no have to, there's no reason you absolutely have to sleep even though you would like to. In fact, you probably had some nights in your life of no sleep or very little sleep, and that proves you don't have to sleep. Uh, and, and then in terms of the practical issues, uh, Kevin will go into more of those. But, um, a basic one is try to get to bed the same time every night and get up the same time every morning is one. Uh, as far as exercise before sleep uh, is concerned, I found in my practice there are individual differences. Some people find that doing exercise right before bed uh, tires them out, exhausts them and re relaxes them and helps them sleep. I found with other individuals, it tends to get their physiology going and then it's even harder to sleep. So uh, that's something to look into. Kevin, did you want to add anything to that or tell us about some of the cognitive behavioral CBT strategies? Sure, sure. Uh, basically, I, I like what you say right there that individual differences are extremely important. Uh, I'm going to give a very brief overview of how I help people with insomnia. And over the course of my career, I've helped a lot of people with insomnia. First and foremost, though, is it is this is not a one size fits all process. For example, it's generally accepted wisdom that uh, generally accepted that it's not a good idea to have caffeine after 2 p.m., uh, some of us, and I happen to be one of these people, I can drink a cup of coffee and go to bed. It doesn't uh, bother me at all. So you'll want to uh, keep that in mind. But uh, basically speaking, if we're talking about just a behavioral approach to insomnia, there are some, some very important practical things we can do. Uh, first, uh, the first one is to uh, make sure that we're observing all of those important principles of sleep hygiene. 
And what I'm talking about here is uh, avoiding looking at a screen uh, 30 minutes before bedtime. That's, that can be important for some people. Uh, also avoid watching TV or reading or anything else while you're in bed. Maxim that I teach my clients is that the bed is for two things, sleep and sex, nothing else. So if, uh, if you are going to read and you can only read in your bedroom, I strongly recommend that you uh, get out of bed, sit in a chair and read rather than lie in the bed and read. And then uh, the other thing about uh, bedtime, if everyone's sleep, everyone's sleep uh, duration is a little bit different. Uh, I, for example, I require about nine hours of sleep. I know people that require about six. And so that varies from person to person as well. Uh, another side note I'd like to throw in there is that if you find yourself waking up on a regular basis or you believe you're sleeping, but you wake up tired, you may be suffering from an undiagnosed case of sleep apnea. If that is so, if you're having some daytime sleepiness, but you believe you're sleeping, it's important to be seen by a physician because this can actually be a life-threatening condition. So how do we beat insomnia? First and, first and foremost, it's important to establish what time you want to get up every morning. The time you go to bed is important, but the time you get up is much more important because this is going to create the drive for sleep. And so if we're observing all of the principles of sleep hygiene, I recommend that you uh, decide what time you're going to get up, count backward the number of hours that you typically believe you need to sleep, and then go to bed at that time. If after 30 to 40 minutes, you feel, you, you feel you're not going to fall asleep, you're wide awake, and there's no chance of drifting off in your mind, then I recommend getting out of bed, going to a quiet, dimly lit place and do something quietly that does not involve a screen. It could be reading a book and make sure it's not a page turner so it doesn't keep you uh, going. Don't watch something on TV. Just do something quietly if you have a hobby or whatnot. Oh, Kevin? Yes, why do that out of bed? Why not? Out of bed. Yes. Well, I have some clients who like to read in bed because they fall asleep while mm -hmm. reading and they'd rather sleep in bed than mm -hmm. on a couch or a chair. So why not do ah. it in bed? So the idea is not to fall asleep while you're doing the hobby. In answer to your question, and again, this is not a one size fits all. There, most of us break at least some of these sleep hygiene uh, rules. I call them rules loosely. But the reason why we get out of bed is because we don't want to pair being in bed with uh, not sleeping, doing something that has nothing to do with sleep. So the bed, the idea, it's kind of like Pavlov's dog. He was basically paired to the lights, uh, the meat powder came with the lights, the bell, whatever. So it's a, it's a conditioning type principle, basically. I see, so, thank you. Mm -hmm, sure, no problem. And then, so you get out of bed and you do your quiet activity. And then once you feel tired, you start to feel tired, it's important to get back up, go back to bed. And then I like to tell people it's like a bottle of shampoo. 
if the same thing happens, you repeat the process. 30, 40 minutes go by, you get out of bed, you do the same thing again. Go back to bed when you're tired. Now, here is the single most important part of it. We're going to get up at the same time. Whatever time we've decided we're getting up, we're going to get up no matter how we feel. If you feel exhausted, you're still going to get up out of bed. And here's the other thing. We're going to go through the day, business as usual, not calling into work, not taking naps, and we're going to push through until bedtime the next night. And as you can imagine, this is going to create a sleep deficit, which in turn will strengthen the desire to sleep. So that's it in a nutshell. How long will it take? There are some people I've worked with where this just takes two or three days. Uh, there are people who have used this protocol for quite some time, and they keep cycling back into it and cycling back into insomnia, rather. So uh, and that's it in a nutshell. Okay. And one other question there, Kevin, mm -hmm. but that's very informative. Thank you. Mm -hmm. About taking naps. Do you have uh, any research or thoughts about taking naps during the day? Is it something to avoid or something it's okay or something that's important or individual differences? I think there's, it's probably all of the above, uh, strangely enough. Uh, it depends on the person. It depends on if they're having a problem with insomnia. Uh, I think if there's a problem with insomnia, the naps are probably making the insomnia worse, though there are some medical conditions for that can play in here. For example, I have multiple sclerosis. Uh, some people have fibromyalgia and brief naps are often indicated for people like us who have these neurological conditions. They can be very uh, restorative. It's important though, that it not take, it not take a huge amount of time, not to, not take, not be longer than maybe an hour or so. It would be, would be my gut uh, reaction there. But for some people, they can be very important. And some people are uh, taking cancer treatments, for example, and these can be very exhausting. And so a nap was probably indicated for them. But if there is insomnia, it's probably a bad idea. Okay, thank you for that. Mm -hmm. Also, um, I think one of the things that often uh, it is counter to good sleep or falling asleep is racing thoughts. You have thoughts going around in your mind around again and again and again. So one way to remedy that is to engage in some type of monotonous focusing. So you could go over a relaxation exercise in your head, or you could count sheep, or you could uh, listen, put on a boring talk show or some soft music, Gregorian chants, for example. So th those are some options for some people. Um, another, did you wanna say something about that? And then I have another question. Yeah, I, I sure do. There, there was some, as a classical musician, I was encouraged to hear this. Uh, some listening to there's some some research and I it was a few years ago that listening to classical music 30 minutes before going to bed 
can really help with relaxation. Now, here's, here's the thing. As a classical musician, there's classical music and there's classical music. For me, it really depends on what you find pleasant. For me personally, I do not like listening to the harpsichord. It sounds to me like breaking glass. I find it very, very unpleasant. However, violin concertos, soft guitar, soft light piano, these sorts of things can really help one relax. And you mentioned monotonous exercise. There's a very, very thing. No, I'm sorry. Monotonous focusing. Yes. There's a very simple exercise that I'll use on a regular basis, uh, which is just to focus on the breathing. Just pay attention to the breath going in and out, not doing anything special, not in through the nose, out through the mouth or any of that, just watching it. And then, of course, you're going to get distracted. And when your mind drifts off, just gently bring it back to the breathing and just pay attention to it. And uh, quite often that can also be helpful with uh, people falling, falling asleep. Okay, great. I want to add to the uh, boring classical music, Mahler and Rachmaninoff. I oh. find them very boring. <laughs> They're both popular, so yeah. probably. Mm -hmm. There are others with different opinions. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, that seems very, very complete. Uh, but if you have further questions, put it in the comments below. If you have sleep problems and you'd like to be a guest on our show, we would love to have you as a guest. Or if you have any other problem that you'd like some free therapy for from the two preeminent REBT therapists in the United States, me, Dr. Michael R. Edelstein, and Kevin Benbow, we would be happy to help you. And again, I'd like to thank our tech engineer, Chris Rossini. If you, if you have suggestions for subjects, put them in the comments below. If you like this, if this was helpful or valuable in any way, uh, give us a thumbs up. And uh, help support us by donating to Patreon. Subscribe to the Three Minute Therapy Podcast to stay on the rational side of life.